0: Hello, my name is Nicholas Ward, and this is Historical Hysteria. History sometimes has a gender problem, because women have been oppressed so long, they rarely made written history. Is a myth. Despite how pop history and culture is presented, there have been many, many incredible women who broke the mould in their day, and then were quietly ignored by subsequent generations who didn't want to give people untoward ideas. But these women weren't written out of history, their stories weren't destroyed. So, here's a list... Of five women from history who were total badasses starting with number five Katulun, the Mongolian wrestling princess that title pretty much says it all about Cthulhu born in 1260 she was a Mongol princess daughter of Kaidu who was a grandson of Genghis Khan's successor Ogadai. the nomads of Central Asia and East Asia were not as patriarchal as you might expect but nevertheless power was very much centered around the men Cthulhuun was headstrong and loved horse racing, wrestling, and archery, and accompanied her father during the wars of the Mongol Empire. She was her father's favourite, and he may have even tried to name her his successor, but failed. And when she came of age, and it was expected that she would marry, Cthulhuun looked around her and thought, what a bunch of wusses, and said she would marry whoever could beat her at wrestling. Marriage to the daughter of a Khan was a fairly rich prize for a winning bout, but if the suitor lost, he had to give her horses. By the end of her life, she had gathered a herd of 10,000. She did eventually marry, though who her husband was, and if he beat her in a bout, is lost to history. The Mongols weren't great at record-keeping during this period, but her story was reported by multiple independent sources. Which brings us to number four, Ludmilla Lady Death Pavlachenko. The year is 1942. The Nazi army has besieged Sevastopol on for a year. The surrounded city has been battered by artillery relentlessly, till the defenders are all but spent. You might expect the job of a Nazi sniper during this campaign to be easy, picking off starving soldiers too weak to take cover, but you would be wrong, because though the Reds were trapped in Sevastopol, as a sniper you were trapped in a life and death duel with one Ludmila Pavlichenko, the Lady of Death. Born in 1916, Pavlochenko was a very active young woman, she loved shooting and athletics, and when the war reached Russia in 1941, she enrolled in the Red Army and was trained as a sniper. Thrown onto the front line at a time when you really did not want to be on the front lines in Eastern Europe, she quickly found herself knee-deep in corpses. Deployed to Odessa, Pavlachenko took her sniper rifle down to the front line and began picking off Germans like it was a game of whack-a-mole. When Odessa fell, she was withdrawn to Sevastopol, where she was tasked with training snipers. Unfortunately, what could have been a cushy gig turned into some of the heaviest fighting of the early war. Sevastopol was a sort of Stalingrad light. In the rubble of the city, Pavlichenko killed over 200 Germans, including 36 snipers. Combined with her 100 kills from Odessa, her 307 kills during the war make her the second deadliest sniper in history. Which brings us to number three, Zheng the Pirate Queen Shi. You may not have heard of Zheng Sao, but you should have, because she was as incredible as she was terrifying. Born in 1775 to a poor family, her early life did not go well, and she wound up as a prostitute in the southern city of Guangdong, at the time renowned for its piracy. She married a notorious pirate and mercenary who commanded a vast confederation of pirates in the South China Sea. He died from slipping overboard in a storm. And that is where you might think her story would end. Instead, Zheng took control of her late husband's ship and then confidently told the entire pirate confederation she was now in charge. Instead of immediately getting her throat slit, she decided to Leroy Jenkins her fleet straight into the Chinese Navy, defeating them twice and sinking as much as half of their fleet. Any doubts about Zheng's command? were dispelled by her immense success. The pirates would spend the next year raiding the Chinese coast with almost complete impunity. When, in 1809, Zheng became trapped in a port by a combined Portuguese-Chinese fleet, she looked like she was done for. But outnumbered, the pirates managed to slip the blockade, losing no ships and taking three Chinese ships down while they did it. Unfortunately, the Chinese eventually realised the pirates' weakness. Money. The Qing government paid off sub-fleet commanders to become part of the new Chinese navy. These now respectable pirates were then sent out against their former comrades. Zheng, realising the winds had turned, negotiated a deal. Retiring back to Guangdong, she, became, she ran a casino and died a wealthy and badass woman. She also killed tens of thousands of people, so don't idolise her too much. But that brings us to a non-genocidal badass number two, my the Sikh Joan of Arc Bago. In 1705, Guru Gobind Singh, the spiritual leader of the young Sikh religion, was in trouble. The Mughal Empire had grown tired of the increasingly powerful and independent Sikhs, and had had begun a northern campaign to put an end to their tiny nation. In 1705, a Mughal force laid siege to Anandpur, the Sikh capital. Some Sikhs abandoned the Guru's army, renouncing Sikhism and their arms in exchange for free passage. Mai Bago, hearing of the defeat at Anandpur, roused her brother and dressed in her husband's armour, approached Sikh deserters and shamed them for their cowardice. If they wouldn't fight for their freedom, she would. Forty deserters, successfully shamed, followed Mai Bago to the camp of Guru Gobind Singh, who, vastly outnumbered, was, bus- was busy preparing for the Battle of Mukstar. Outnumbered, the Guru had laid a trap for the Mughals, creating a fake camp in a narrow valley to lure the Mughal army in, while positioning archers and gunners on the surrounding steep hills. The forty soldiers as pennants led the attack on the ground, keeping the Mughals trapped in the valley while the Sikh army rained arrows upon them. Mai Bargo fought with them. All forty were slain and Mai horrifically injured, but she somehow survived. As a reward, she was made Guru Gobind Singh's personal bodyguard. Which brings us to number one, Julie de Aubigny. The dueling bisexual terror of 17th century France. If you had to pick a period, if you had to pick a terrible period to be a woman, 17th century France it would be right up there. Witch trials had just ended, but were ongoing in other parts of continental Europe, and the 17th century would see cholera pandemics, plagues, and widespread famine. It was not a pleasant time to be alive. Julie de was born in 1673 to King Louis' master of horses secretary. But as a minor aristocratic girl, instead of just the traditional dancing, singing, and etiquette, she also learned fencing, horse riding, and hunting alongside the court pages who her father trained. As well as how to dress like a man, something she would enjoy doing for the rest of her life. As a young woman, she was notoriously rebellious, engaging in torrid affairs. In 1687, her lover and fencing instructor killed a man in a duel, and they were forced to flee the police to Marseille. But if you think Julie was happy to just be the fencing master's mistress, you would be wrong. She took to engaging in fencing displays to earn money, reportedly tearing open her shirt when she was accused of being a man. She also sung in taverns and exhibitions, eventually building a reputation as one of the finest opera singers in France. Eventually, she dumped the fencing instructor to engage in more fencing, fighting, and far ornicating. With a string of lovers behind her, she then engaged in a scandalous and likely sexual affair with a young woman who whose family sent her off to a nunnery, again in the 17th century. She would eventually be invited back to court to sing for the king, where she would get into three jewels, despite duelling having been recently outlawed. In her 30s, she would enter an affair with Madame le Marquis de Florenzac, sometimes said to be the most beautiful woman in all of France, but who died in 1705. Julie would quit opera and retire to a convent that same year, dying two years later at the ripe old age of 33. Unsurprisingly, such a flamboyant character has become tied up with many many legends and myths, and many of her most amazing stories, like burning down a nunnery and faking her own death, or dressing up like a man, frenching a young woman on the dance floor, and then duelling and defeating three men who challenged her, uh, often these stories lack sources. Nevertheless, she was a woman who knew what she wanted society be damned, and lived a hell of a life in just 33 years. That is all we have time for today, thank you for joining me. Feedback can be sent to historicalhysteria at gmail.com and don't forget to check out the socials r historicalhysteria on reddit and at manichistory on twitter. But before I leave, let me leave you with this. Though queens are not uncommon as the prime monarch in English history, in some countries a queen legally could not rule. This however did not stop Jadwiga of Poland, who in 1384 was crowned King Jadwiga of Poland. There have been several female kings in European history, including Jadwiga's sister, King Mary of Hungary, and King of Kings Tamar of Georgia, though these women are often titled Queen in English histories for simplicity's sake. Goodbye.